Welcome, everyone, to this episode of WP Radio. This is a podcast brought to you by the Ontario Insurance Adjusters Association. If you're part of the insurance industry and want to hear in-depth stories and industry experts, along with discussions and interviews, then this is the podcast for you. I host a monthly podcast where I feature guests on the show, get to know them better, and also find out the latest news from around the industry. I'm Terry Doherty, your host. Now let's get this show started. On this episode, I had an opportunity to speak with Jonathan Janak of Dance and Rect LLP about autonomous vehicles. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. All right, um, Jonathan, uh, thank you very much for joining us on WP Radio this morning. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, Jonathan, just before we get started, if you uh, want to give me some background on where you're from and what you do at Dance and Rect, that'd be great. All right, sure. I'm uh, a lawyer with Dance and Rect. Um, prior to being a lawyer, I worked in um, the technology field for a telematics company. Um, after that, I, sorry, my, my past is a little varied. Um, after that, I taught secondary school, which is a little off the beaten path, but uh, but anyway, I did that for a little bit, and then um, I got bored of that and decided I was going to go back to school. So I returned to law school, and uh, here we are. Excellent. Uh, what did you teach at high school? Um, taught geography, history, civics, um, all the fun stuff. Oh, wow. That's uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. All right. Um, and, Jonathan, uh, how long have you been a lawyer with Dance and Rec? I've uh, been with the firm. I actually articled with the firm. Um, I'm a new call, so I got called in 2016. So I've been here since then. Um, prior to that, I did my articling here, and prior to that, I did my um, I summered here as well. Oh, okay, so you've yeah. just kind of been there all the way along. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Well, today uh, I understand we're going to talk about AV, which is autonomous vehicles. Correct. That's that's correct. All right. And is is that something you're interested in, or w- what gets you wanting to talk about AV? Yeah, I guess it all started. Um, Back when I was working for the the technology company doing telematics, it was um, you know at the time, I think this was 2007 or so. Um, you know, vehicle telematics was was still kind of a a new industry, and um, you know, I guess I wanted to see, and, and I was interested in, in in all the the background information related to that. So, I guess the, my interest in autonomous vehicles just naturally progressed from that point, and. Um, you know, as I'm sure you're aware, and all your readers might be aware, the, the advancements in, in autonomous vehicle technology has pretty much exploded over the last few years. Oh yeah, it's crazy. I actually am quite interested in AV. Uh, um, I find it totally interesting, and I think it's just the way of the future. And it's it's pretty neat with Uber and uh, some of the other companies, Tesla, and uh, stuff like that. Kind of just it's it's blowing up. It's really interesting. I'm actually have plans to go see a Tesla and test drive one. Me as well. I'm. Uh, I think I have a test drive book for a few weeks from now, so just to to see how it feels. Because I've heard the um the accelerate the feeling of the acceleration of a of a electric car is at least that electric car is, is nothing anyone's ever experienced before. Yeah, yeah, no, it's uh, it's pretty neat. So let's talk about uh, AV cars. I know there's different levels of them, right? And uh, there's level zero, which you know, what you would typically think is is not really a level, but there's level zero right through level five. So um, do you want to 
tell everybody about the different levels and how that, you know, what's in each level? Yeah, sure. Um, I guess the main thing to, to understand is, is this is all based on the Society of Automotive Engineers. So, so they came up with, with this system, or not the system, this, this, I guess these levels. And um, it was their intention to, to kind of, you know, address or, or, or take note of, of how cars can, or different levels of, of, of vehicles from, you know, no automation to full automation. And they kind of just, you know, broke those up into, into different levels. So level zero is obviously no automation. And, um, you know, most cars prior to 2010 or even 2007 were, were most likely level zero. Now you have vehicles that, you know, have lane warning systems and um, cruise control and stuff like that. So obviously those aren't level zero. And then um, level one would be what I just talked about. So, you know, the human is still ultimately in control. You have to, you know, control the steering and control the braking and, and do all that stuff. But like I said, some controls are automated. So you have auto braking, um, you have cruise control, so the vehicle does do certain things by itself, but at the end of the day, you're still the one in control. So having, um, sorry, just so yep. everyone understands, so having cruise control in your vehicle is considered a level of AV in your car? Well, not necessarily, you know, traditional cruise control. I'm talking more like cr- cruise control as in, um, you know, there's certain technologies now. I think Mercedes has it, and a lot of other the high-end vehicles have it, um, where you set cruise control, and the vehicle can actually slow down or speed up depending on you know the distance between you and the car in front of you. Okay, so like your Chevron control, so yeah. that you know so many Chevrons between the vehicle. So that's what you mean by cruise control. Actually, it'll adjust um, the speed and uh, slow you down accordingly to the vehicle in front. Yes. Oh, okay, cool. All right. So that's level one. Let's talk about level two. What's that? So level two would be what most people um, would consider Tesla. Okay. Um, I think some people might think Tesla is more of a level three, but um, at least current Teslas are level two. There is partial automation, so, so the vehicle can do certain things for you, like staying in your lane. Um, as long as you select the feature to do that. Um, and generally speaking, you can have your hands off the wheel as long as the autonomous system is, is activated. But at the same time, you can't, you know, take your mind off and you can't take your eyes off the road. So your hands essentially have to be very, very close to the steering wheel just in case the vehicle can't recognize something or can't do a certain task. It's going to tell you that you have to engage again and take over so so you know at a level two um the system can drive the system can steer the system can brake it can accelerate as well but at the same time um you can't just be you know completely distracted by a book or or a movie or what have you okay and now this is the current road or vehicles of tesla that are currently on the road then yeah, and, and one issue came up in 2016 with a Tesla crashing and kind of hitting a side of a truck as it was turning onto a highway. And um, the, the issue with Tesla back in 2016 and prior was that they were kind of touting their vehicles as autonomous. And they weren't truly autonomous in that sense. Of, as Like I said, they were 
a level two. So, you know, people were, were reading about autonomous vehicles. They were thinking they understood about it. But the fact of the matter was, you know, people were essentially disengaging when they turned on the AV mode. And as a result, you know, if a vehicle can't recognize something and you're not looking, you're going to run into trouble. Okay. Now, um, level three, let's talk about that then. So level three um, is essentially conditional automation, you can call it. So the car is essentially in complete control in certain environments. But at the same time, the human driver will still have to take over in certain conditions as well. What kind of conditions would those be? um, Certain weather conditions. So, you know, um, I think we were talking previously about your vehicle having... um, some type of AV systems in place, but uh, you were mentioning how you know if the radar is blocked, it can't see in front of in front of the vehicle. So the car is going to tell you, listen, I can't, you know, I can't see what the radar is seeing, so I'm not going to be able to do this, and um, it's going to ask you to take over. There's also certain situations, you know, if there's no road markings, the car is not going to be able to recognize anything around it, and it's not going to be able to work. So, so I would consider level three. Um, as autonomous in very, very confined spaces, perhaps on like a track or like a, you know, in like a complex of a, an apartment building or like at a, you know, any type of large um, complex where there's roads that don't have, you know, lane markings and all this stuff. So, so essentially the car can drive along a track without worrying about, you know, going off the road or hitting another vehicle or anything like that. So, like, in a test condition? More like essentially, yes. Okay. Yeah, because my car has that auto braking and cruise control feature. However, like what I was saying uh, before was, um, before we actually did the podcast, when it snows or I get ice and snow build up on the front of my car, it just shuts off. It tells me, no, yeah. it won't work. So, yeah, so that's kind of interesting. So, let's talk about level four then. So, uh, you know, um, what, what features does it have? Okay, so um, back to level three for a second. What I like to, to refer to level three as is eyes off. So you can take your eyes off the road as long as the car is in autonomous mode. As soon as the car tells you to you know, pay attention, you're going to have to pay attention. Level four um, is essentially mind off. So you can essentially switch off. You can watch a movie. You can read a book. But again, there's only, there's only certain situations that the car can, can operate in so you know same as level three so there's certain type of weather conditions that the car is not going to be able to work autonomously there's certain type of roads that a car is not going to be able to work autonomously um i think volvo um is the i think volvo has a pilot project i think they pushed it back a few years but as of last year they were their goal was in 2017 to sorry in 2018 to have a level four vehicle um on a track around Sweden. So they were giving out cars to families. So level four cars to families that, um, the car would only be able to drive autonomously around a certain stretch of highway. And then once it got off the highway, the driver would have to take over and, um, maneuver the vehicle from that point. So, so level four and level three are kind of similar in that sense, but, um, level four just has more, um, more automation and, and, uh, more abilities. So are they having it in a test situation now? So are they having actually people do testing on it? 
um, while they're driving, so they're building up their data. Is that what they're doing? Well, they were touting um, by 2018 that they're going to have actual citizens driving the cars. However, they ran into some safety concerns, and they, I think they pushed it back for three or four years. Oh, okay. So, so like like most um, technology, it's kind of there's a lot of mystery and there's a lot of what ifs, and you know every company is saying, well, you know, we're going to have this stuff out by 2019 or 2020, and and it seems like they keep pushing it back a year or two years because they're recognizing that they don't have, you know, all the data and, and an acceptable safety standard just yet, which is probably, you know, for the benefit of everyone. Yeah. Now, are, are they able to do certain maneuvers or, um, like, at, at any level here? Like, w about, say, they get into a situation where they need to shut the car down or, or to stop it, you know, suddenly. Um does that come into play at any of these levels of car? It, it depends what level. Like if we're looking, um, I guess we can, you know, look at level three, four, and five, because those are essentially the main um, automated driving levels. Um, it depends which level we're at and, and the amount of technology that the vehicle has. So um, I don't, I don't want to get into too much at this point because I'm going to be talking about Tesla later, but Tesla, for some reason or another, feels that you know their vehicles operate the best. Essentially, at level four, the vehicle, and and obviously this will be contingent on you know the manufacturer of the vehicle, the type of sensors that the vehicle has, and the type of software that is implemented in the vehicle. But um, I think what most autonomous vehicles want to get to is a point where the vehicle can do automatic, you know, everything automatically. So if they run into a problem, whether it be, you know, weather conditions that they can't see around them or whether there's like a flat tire or they can't recognize the road system or, or what have you, um, at a level five, which we haven't talked about yet, the vehicle is essentially just going to pull off whatever road and that's going to be your emergency maneuver. Okay. Um, level level four will probably warn you, tell you to to take over, and then you'll have to do it. And then if you can't do it, the vehicle will just stop and then wherever it is. So, oh. okay. So safety is ultimately, you know, would be the top priority because you know everyone's touting AVs as, as being, you know, a lot safer for people driving. So you know, if there's a situation where the vehicle can't recognize. You know, the safest thing to do in that situation is to either tell you to take over or if, you, if you're incapacitated for whatever reason, it's just going to stop for you. Um, and obviously the goal would be to, to move away from that and move to, you know, getting off the road or pulling into a safe position. But um, like I said, that depends on the, the technology at the time. Okay, well, let's talk about level five then. Um, level five is the, the highest level of automation at this point? Uh, yeah, level five is the highest level. There are no vehicles that are level five yet. Um, actually, there are no vehicles that are fully level four yet, but um, level five is, is essentially what people think of when they think of automated vehicles. It's no steering wheel, no brakes, no pedals. It's just you get in the car, it's like a taxi, type in where you want to go, you know, use your Google talk, or whatever you have you, you know, say where you want to go and it just takes you wherever you need to go. Wow. So that's, that's the future. That's the goal of, of all these companies or at least most of the companies is where they want to get to. But, um, 
in my opinion, I don't really see that happening for at least 30, 40, 50 years. Now, is the regulations around this whole technology, and um, I'm sure that's where the legal aspect comes in, but I'm sure there's got to be regulations uh, governing how this technology is being developed and um, coming into play. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Um, well, that's the problem. It's it's so up in the air right now that that you know no one, and especially no government, really knows what's going to be and, and what's going to happen. Um, you know. At least in in Canada, there's no regulations as of yet. But you know, the the federal government is recognizing that there is, you know, this is the future. So they are investing money into researching how they can perhaps develop regulations or develop a law to, you know, with with safety in mind. I guess would be would be the the main thing. Now, um, is there anybody? Um so you said they've put some money into it. Have they given it to a specific company like a Tesla to develop this technology or who's developing it for them or who are they working with? Um, no, the, the federal money that they've invested in AVs is just investing in the, into research as to, to how um, they can develop laws that are, that are safe or you know, comply with, with what AVs want to be. Um, I know Ontario has pilot projects, so they're giving permits to certain individuals or companies to test AVs on the roads. Um, but at the same time, um, they made it clear that all the laws that are currently in effect, so the Highway Traffic Act and, and the Insurance Act and all that, are still going to, to, to be in effect. So, um, you know, the Highway Traffic Act, you need a driver, um, and obviously AVs, there's going to be a discrepancy between who's driving the car, whether it's a person or whether it's the car. And that's where ultimately we're going to run into issues. But um, at this point in time during the pilot project, which um, I'm not hundred percent certain how long it's supposed to last, but until um, the Ontario government at least, or until the federal government implements regula- regulations, um, all the current laws apply. So, so anyone that gets into an accident in an AV, you know, there's going to be no dispute as to whether the vehicle is driving or a uh, human is driving. Okay. And uh, I noted that you had said, uh, or you had told me that there was some testing being done in Waterloo. Is that right? Yeah. I, I think um, I'm not 100% certain what's going on in Waterloo, but I do know that um, the pilot projects, um, they, they have given money, or sorry, the pilot, they have given permits to some, some companies in Waterloo, but I'm not, I can't remember off the top of my head which companies are, are directly involved there, but um, I think BlackBerry might be involved in I, some way. I was going to say, is RIM involved? Yeah. I, I, I'd, I'd hope so because, because they need something. <laughs> okay. Well, let's talk about the United States then. Um, yeah. There's a lot of stuff going on in the U.S. with self-driving cars, and um, well, there's a lot of stuff going on in the U.S. Period, yeah. um, and with the current um, administration, uh, you have a lot of push towards deregulation, um, and you know we could get into an argument whether or not deregulation is good for for AVs or not. Um, you know, on the the pro side, you have companies now willing to, you know, take risks and, you know, perhaps put more money into into their research, knowing that they're they won't be hamstrung by 
government regulations uh, with that. But then on the other side, you have the safety aspect. You know, there could be an argument made that, well, deregulating autonomous vehicles is going to cause a lot of safety issues with crashes and, and, you know, what if the vehicle fails or or all this stuff. So um, I know they do have, um, they did pass a self-drive act. Um, and that's the federal government. Um, so I'm just reading off my notes here because so essentially, um, the self-drive act gives the national highway traffic safety administration power to regulate vehicle design, construction, and performance. Um, essentially it makes it a lot easier for, for AV companies or AV manufacturers to get exemptions. So to not comply with the federal motor vehicle safety standards, um, which, like I said, could help them get AVs on the road a lot quicker. But you know, you're you're risking safety. Whether or not that's good or bad, again, is is kind of an arg- a talking point and an argument to be had. Now let's talk about the proprietary information that's in an AV vehicle after an accident. I know um, when we first started uh, dealing with uh, uploading data from cars after crashes that weren't AV, there was a lot of proprietary information that it was hard to get. Is is this going to be a greater issue moving forward with the AV cars? Because their data has got to be, I'm sure, uh, proprietary. Oh, for sure. And you're going to have issues with, um, you know, the argument who owns the data. You know, manufacturers are going to say they own the data the owners of the car are going to say they own the data. So, you know, in a perfect world, you'd have some type of, of agreement between manufacturers and insurance companies and, and owners of the car. But the fact of the matter is there is going to be, you know, for any AV, as the, the level of autonomy goes up, there's, there's just massive amounts of data that have to be stored. And, you know, whether that data is stored on the vehicle, whether that data is stored on the cloud, um, we don't know yet. So, you know, let, as, as it currently stands, the data is stored on a vehicle and, and, you know, most of the data can be downloaded with the, with the cables and the OB, ODD, OBD2 cables. Um, but, you know, the, there's not going to be the ability to do that when you have, you know, data from radar, data from LIDAR. Um, you're going to have cameras facing the, the driver with some manufacturers to make sure you're attentive and make sure you're not sleeping or incapacitated. Um, so you're going to have all this stuff. You're going to have maps that need to be updated constantly. You're going to have road conditions that need to be updated constantly. And, you know, the question is, where is this data going to go and who's going to own it? You know, is the manufacturer going to own it? Is the, the owner of the vehicle going to own it? And you might get into situations where there's going to be litigation and arguments as to who owns the data and who can use the data for whatever reason. Um, you know, obviously insurers are going to want to use the data to uh, investigate liability or investigate, investigate crashes. Um, the manufacturers might want to take the data to, you know, use it for marketing purposes. And um, obviously the owner of the vehicle has a stake in, in ownership because they don't want their data to be used nefariously. Then the other question is, how long does the data stay around? I know like when you have a near miss or a near collision on a vehicle, it's 250 key cycles on cars uh, currently before that data is wiped. So if your car was in a total loss, then, you know, that data stays there. 
but if it was a near miss or where you didn't actually have an impact but it was considered uh, a near miss impact that data can be overridden after 250 key cycles of ignition i mean is that going to be different because of this type of technology is it going to automatically upload to a cloud or to you know a, a, a server somewhere like um these are all pretty interesting things i think because it's and i yeah i i 100 agree and i i mean i don't have an answer but um you know what i would think is that the data would have to be stored for a lot longer than that um because you know half of this data is going to be data that's used to essentially map a road. So um, you're going to have vehicles speaking to each other. And obviously I'm speaking level five automation and perhaps level four, sure. but you know, you're going to have these vehicles that are going to be required to speak to each other. You know, one vehicle up ahead is going to be like, listen, there's a crash on the road. Um, you know, avoid this area or, you know, this road is closed at this point because of an accident or because, you know, uh, some other type of, of construction issue, whatever. Sure. Yeah. Or what, what have you. So, um, the data is going to be ongoing and, um, but yeah, like you said, the question becomes how long that data stays. And, and, and now you're sharing we don't data know yet. too, right? You're sharing data. Exactly. Between cars. So you, and, and then you have privacy issues with that as well. So, um, who knows? It's, yeah. These are questions that, that are obviously going to need to be answered by, you hope they're going to be answered by regulations, but but again, in the U.S. with the deregulation, you don't know what's going to be. Okay, well, it's one for uh, one. We'll see. I'm sure it's going to develop as things go along in the U.S. Now, let's talk about the U.K. I know they. Uh, you, you had said there was a lot of stuff going on in the U.K. as well. So let's let's kind of touch on the U.K. So. So the UK is, is interesting, and um, I say that because they seem to be at the forefront of of trying, or you know, their intention is to to regulate autonomous vehicles. Um, I believe that they are on second reading of a bill. Uh, they had a bill last year that um, did pass for for reasons not related to the actual bill itself, but but ultimately they rewrote it. Um, it's at the second reading now, so so I I assume that it will pass at some point in the future. Um, and that bill was in anticipation of, of AVs being tested on the roads in 2019. So so the 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 UK intends to have vehicles on the road, whether or not they actually get there by 2019 is another question. But uh, you know it's still a year in, in the future, so we'll see what happens. Um, however, the goal of these regulations in the UK are to apportion liability and to prevent um, innocent accident victims from not getting paid. Okay. Um, and, you know, obviously, if you're involved in an accident um, with a driver and the driver has an autonomous vehicle, you know, you're going to have... Traditionally, there's not much to dispute. You have liability. Was the driver liable? If he was, yes. If he was, great. If he wasn't, no. And then you have, you know, arguments over damages. Um, you're going to have another hitch in the UK because you have an autonomous vehicle now. And, you know, was the driver responsible or was the vehicle responsible? 
So ultimately what the laws or regulations in the UK want to prevent is people having to get into longer litigation in order to get paid for damages that are caused by a driver, whether or not that driver is liable or whether or not that vehicle is liable. Um, so, so what they're essentially trying to do is create a single insurer um, to pay out. Um, and um, that might work in the UK because they don't have accident benefits. Um, at least in Ontario, we have accident benefits. So, you know, whether or not these laws can be transferred over straight from the UK is probably not feasible. But um, at least in Ontario, in the future, assuming that the current laws don't change, um, a, an injured party isn't going to have issues getting paid whether or not a car or a driver caused the accident. So I think at least Ontarians are good in that in that sense. So is it a good framework, do you think, for the future for Ontario from this legislation out of the UK? Yeah, I mean, in a sense, it is a good framework because, you know, the goal is to protect the injured party. And I think any laws, that needs to be the underlying goal, is to protect the people that are injured in an accident um, and then allow either the insurance company to fight it over with the manufacturer or fight it over with the, you know, in tort, obviously there's going to be issues there, but, but in the end, you're going to have people getting paid for treatment as a result of an accident. And, and that needs to be at the forefront of any regulations, in my opinion. Okay. Now, I also saw something here uh, that said the UK government is looking to uh, ban the sale of all new gas and diesel cars by 2040. Do you think that's plausible based on uh, where we're at with the technology of AV and electric cars? Um, I guess you should ask Elon Musk because if it were up to him, I think we would ban you know, diesel and gasoline cars by three years ago. But um, 2040 is a long way away. And, um, you know, it's 22 people, years. Seem to, people seem to be a lot more interested in having an electric vehicle at this point. And, um, you know, the main issue right now is, is for most people, it's cost prohibitive. So, you know, assuming that battery costs goes down, and obviously that will happen as the years go on, um, I don't see 2040 as being that big an issue. Like, whether or not it's 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 feasible is another issue. Um, but you know, if I could have an electric car right now, and there were you know charging stations as there are like gas stations currently, I wouldn't have a problem having an electric vehicle. It's just you know at this point in time, at least I think Tesla has like three or four charging stations in Ontario, and um, unless you have one at home, you're kind of stuck. So you're limited by, by the, the distance of the battery on a charge, which I think for Tesla is 300 miles or 240 miles, whatever it is. Yeah, and but, um, en route now has them um, at all the en route stations along the 401. But the problem with that is you're going to have companies that, that are going to want to push the proprietary charging system. Yeah, no, I, um, I, 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 I understand that, but at least we have a start, right? We have... Uh, yeah. Somewhere to somewhere to plug in if you've got a an electric car, for sure. 
but the the hope is once electric vehicles get more common, you're going to have some, again, going back to the regulations, you're going to have regulations that uh, come into effect that kind of mandate um, general chargers that aren't proprietary to Tesla or GM or, or whatever vehicle you have. Yeah, standard yeah. plug, you know, exactly. like our, our 115 or whatever. Not like every time you get a new Apple product, it's got to have a new plug. Yeah, that's, Apple and electric, uh, autonomous vehicles or electric vehicles would be a terrible idea. Yeah. <laughs> Let's hope they don't get in it then. This episode is brought to you by Osgood Professional Development. Osgood's upcoming program, Successful Advocacy in Insurance Mediations, will be held on February 21st and 22nd in downtown Toronto. Chaired by Frank Gomberg and Paul Torrey, leading a faculty of over 20 distinguished counsel and mediators, it will provide you with tools that will improve every mediation you appear on. Join in person or by live webcast and learn more at osgoodpd.ca forward slash insurance. Well, let's talk about the manufacturers of AV technology. There's uh, five big ones out there, I understand. Uh, there's about 20 um, manufacturers that are getting okay. into it. I'm gonna I'm gonna list the the top five, uh, at least in my opinion. All right. Um, is this an so order say, of um, development, or is this just the top five that are out there? Um, I'm gonna give you an order of what I think are the best. Okay. So I'm gonna go from from five to one. All right. Okay, so um, five. I guess at five, would you'd have? I'd call you know. There's a bunch of them. So you have VW, you have BMW, you have Waymo, Volvo, and perhaps even Tesla can be lumped in at level five, which might be surprising to a lot of people. But in my opinion, I don't really think Tesla is at the forefront of technology or investments or anything like that. So um, first of all, with, v, with VW with Volkswagen. Um, Audi actually received uh, a permit in Nevada in 2012. Um, <clears throat> so they've been doing it for, for a little bit, not necessarily a long time, like some of these other companies have been around since 2007 or 2008. Um, but uh, VW does have some good technology. Um, an A7, which is their sedan, or it might be whatever, it's their, it's their high-end car. Yeah. Um, they actually have one that drove 550 miles. So, you know, if you compare it to Tesla, which which is capable of driving, let's say, 300 miles, um, Audi's got that beat by a fair margin. Yeah, almost done. Um, so, so this is 550 miles in autonomous mode. So, you know, you have a driver in the seat, but um, the car's doing all the work. Um, VW, so the thing about all these companies is, is to become a top manufacturer, you need to, or what it seems, what seems to be occurring is, is a lot of them partner with technology companies. So um, I know VW specifically partnered with NVIDIA, which is a graphics software company, okay. um, and they're trying, they're trying to create something called the Traffic Jam Pilot, which is essentially level three autonomy. So for their system. Um, the vehicle takes over driving in conditions under 60 kilometers an hour. So, so you're going to have a limit on what autonomy level or, or what um, level of automation you can have in that vehicle. Um, 
but like we were talking about before, what's required is the vehicle to be on a highway or a road with a fit with a physical barrier. So you can't be on, you know, three lane roads without a median. You can't be on two lane roads without a line divider in the middle. So there needs to be um, an actual road with, with set um, route markers. So the car can actually understand where it's going and where it has to be. So a lot of parameters um, around it. Yeah. But like with most level three autonomy, you're going to have a lot of parameters at first. For sure. So, so this, so their system will, like most level three, handle steering, accelerating, um, braking, and but that's all going to be done in lane. So this vehicle cannot switch lanes. Okay. Which is which is obviously once you go to level four, that's the main feature: the vehicle can switch lanes, get off the highway, do all that stuff by itself. Um, the Audi vehicle uses radar. Um, the main two two. Systems in, in autonomous vehicles are radar and lidar. Um, there are pros and cons to both. Tesla doesn't use lidar. A lot of other companies do, just because it provides more accuracy. But um, CW Audi decided to just use radar, probably at this point for cost. But um, and and the lidar systems kind of look ugly as well. But radar is easier to hide under the dashboard or you know in the windshield or what whatever. Okay. Um, the driver, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, and then you've got the BMW, or as well. Yeah, so BMW is um, the same type of features as the VW. It's called Advanced Driver Assistance. Um, it's only available right now on their seven series and five series. Um, that system does keeps you in your lane. It parks for you. Um, it's traffic jam assist, which, you know, in slow driving conditions, you could take your hand off the wheel and it kind of inches forward as the traffic moves along. Um, BMW decided to team with Intel. Uh, most people know what Intel is. It's a technology software company. Yeah. And hardware. Um, and they also, they also partnered with Mobileye, which is a mapping company. So their goal, at least Mobileye's goal, was to create an industry standard technology um, for mapping. And obviously mapping is important for, for autonomous vehicles because you need to know, the vehicle needs to know where it's going and it needs to be able to um, communicate with surroundings. Uh, Mobileye's intention was to have every manufacturer come on, come on board with them to create um, the industry standard. And um, I would say that, um, you know, BMW system is pretty good in that sense. Uh, Mobileye is a pretty good company. Um, but but even, even so, BMW is also um, investing in other mapping companies like Nokia has one, I think. Um, and the Nokia mapping company creates real-time updated traffic density. Um, they update road hazards like we were talking about. Um, weather conditions as well. So, so this system can speak to other BMWs or other vehicles if they decide to to spread the system across manufacturers to communicate with them about what's on the road ahead. Well, that'd be good. And then you've got Waymo. Okay, so Waymo is Waymo started at Google, and they've been around since um, early. 
sorry, late 2000s, so I think 2007 or 2008. Is that the car you um, see on the road doing with, you know, that's always got all these cameras moving and stuff? Yeah, so, so Waymo, you know, the ugly Google car that um, has, like, the weird sirens on top, and those are actually the LiDAR systems. So they are constantly spinning, and they're constantly taking pictures of everything around them. Um, and Waymo is actually, I think they've logged about four or five million miles in their autonomous vehicles. So, you know, you can argue that they've probably done the most, but at the same time, um, I don't think they're in the forefront of technology. They're kind of, they keep getting pushed back, but, um, they partnered with, uh, Fiat Chrysler and, um, their, their intention is to create robot taxis. So you have all these companies that are, that are kind of trying to, to partner with these, um, sharing manufacturers, these sharing companies like Uber and Lyft. And uh, Waymo decided to partner with with um, those companies as well. But um, the difference between Waymo and all these other manufacturers, other than Tesla, is that all their hardware and all their stuff is built in-house. So Waymo does all their own um, development. They do all their own hardware, which hopefully, or in their mind, is going to relate to or equate to cost savings. So, you know, the argument can be made, well, their vehicles might be cheaper and that might be a way for them to get into the market. Again, we'll see. Okay. Um, they've partnered with Lyft as well and Intel. Oh, okay. So they're with Intel as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what about Volvo? They're right up there. So the Volvo, I kind of touched on um, initially. Their program's called Drive Me. That was originally supposed to be tested in 2017. Um <clears throat> Like, I, like we talked about, their goal was to give these level four vehicles to um, oh, this certain... Oh, Sweden. Yeah. 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 So they, they give them to certain families in Sweden to use and, and essentially to build up data. Um, but like I said, that system, they, they discovered some safety issues, so that's been pushed back a few, a few years. Okay. But at the same... Uh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, okay, that, that, that I get what you were saying there for sure. Um, but at the same time, at the same time that they're doing the Drive Me program, they're also they also partnered with Uber, oh. so they're testing Uber. Uber's testing autonomous Volvos in Arizona currently, um, again to build up data to see if they can create something substantial there. And is that a level? What level would that be on the category? Uh, lo- the I believe that those are level three. Um, they do have a driver that uh, needs to be in the seat at all times. Um, but, um, yeah, so so it seems like Volvo's trying to do the level four while they're also trying to do the level three just to, to see where they can um, get the most technology to market. Okay. Now, um, we, Tesla, you put up there in number five as well, but we'll come back to Tesla because it seems to be a, an animal all to itself. Are we good with that? Yep. All right, yep. let's move down to number four then. Who would you say number four in the manu- top manufacturers are? Um, probably Mercedes or Daimler. Okay. They have um, their 2017 E-Class had a significant amount of uh, systems or autonomous systems in place. They had radar, they had camera. Um, I know we were talking about the uh, your radar and your vehicle how it won't work when um, there's snow or something or whatever blocked in. The 2017 E Class actually has um, 
the radar is actually heated. So at no point will the radar ever be blocked by snow, oh, which okay. obviously is a good it's a good feature. But I mean, when you're paying over $100,000 for a car, you hope it has future parts. For sure. For sure. So they, they're kind of just them. Uh, Mercedes slash Daimler is the number four in your opinion? Yeah. Okay. What about number three? So number three is, is Nissan. Okay. Um, their ProPilot system at this point, it only allows vehicles to drive autonomously on the highways, just like the Volvo system or, or the Volvo system that they're trying to implement. Um, again, it's it's the easiest way to to create a system where safety is a, is a top priority, where when you start having you know vehicles that have to get off the road or, or have to maneuver between side streets, it's kind of um, an issue. So at least on the highway, they can test it for safety and make sure everything's good. Okay. Now, are they part of the Renault family, Nissan? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. And um, number two is GM. Yeah, so GM's interesting because they actually invested $500 million um, with Lyft in 2016. So so they seem to be kind of wow. tied together with Lyft. <laughs> and that's, that's a substantial amount of money. It so, is. so, you know, they're... They seem to be betting on, on autonomous technology, which is probably probably good for everyone. Um, in 2016, they also purchased a company called Cruise Automation. Um, Cruise Automation was another AV company, and their initial intention was to create um, autonomous systems that you can retrofit on any car. So, you know, back in 2015, it seemed like a good idea. Let's build this company. Um, we can create AVs with, you know, we can add in LIDAR systems and radar systems and camera systems, and you can just stick them on any car, you know, creating uh, an autonomous car out of, for, from whatever year. Um, so GM recognized them as, as a leader in the industry and they decided, and they decided to let's just purchase this company and, and allow them to focus strictly on um, manufacturing or developing um, technology for the GM cars. So their their idea at the end of the day is to get those into uh, lift vehicles for you know ride sharing. What, whether or not their intention is to to exclusively try and part and work with Lyft to to get AVs on the road, um, I don't know. But obviously having a ride-sharing company that's partnered with a vehicle manufacturer is going to create a lot of data that they can then use to translate into whatever software they decide ah, to, okay. to put into their their consumer vehicles. All right. I, I see where you're going with that. Okay. And number one, let's talk about that company, Ford. So I'd say, yeah, I'd say Ford is number one. Um their initial intention was to have a fleet of fully autonomous vehicles by 2021 with Lyft. So it's like a, it's a ongoing theme. A lot of these companies are, are partnering with uh, ride sharing services, but you know, when they say fully autonomous, they're saying level five, whether or not they have fully level five vehicles by 2021 is up in the air. But um, I think at this point it's more marketing than anything. But uh, the good thing about Ford is that, um, they're testing their vehicles in states that don't just include California or Arizona, which are obviously 
beneficial from a weather standpoint. They're they're actually testing vehicles in Michigan and other states that have winter. So, you know, they can gather data on how these sensors operate in snow conditions or fog or, or rain or any other weather conditions that aren't necessarily ideal for for autonomous vehicles. Okay. Now, is there any issue with Ford and GM both partnering with Lyft, or is, uh, do they have, uh, are they sharing data in that regard, or is it uh, totally no, separate? No, I think at this point, most of the manufacturers are, are keeping their data kind of close to their chest. Okay. Um, they're actually, Ford actually invested $1 billion in, in a company called Argo AI. Um, so, so just like um, Cruise Automation, Ford decided to go with this other company, and they essentially, our, Ford just essentially told this company, Argo, we're, you know, here, develop our, our autonomous systems, and you're only going to be developing the autonomous systems for Ford. So um, both Ford and GM I put at the top of the list because, you know, they seem to have invested the largest sums of money in autonomous vehicles and their technology. That is a massive amount of money. That is correct. <laughs> All right. Um, and we left kind of Tesla off the list, even though you said it was within the top five, you put it as number five. Let's talk about Tesla because they get a lot of publicity, whereas I didn't know Ford and GM were that vested in the whole AV industry. Um, and Tesla is just, they're out there with Elon Musk and his videos and everything. So let's talk about them. Um, tell everybody um, a little bit about Tesla for those people that don't know. They've been hiding under so, a rock. So Tesla, like I said, is um, a level two. So um, essentially the vehicle is partially automated. And, and a big issue with Tesla at the beginning was that um, their marketing materials was kind of touting their vehicles as level three. Um, so people were kind of lulled into a false sense of security where they thought the vehicle can do a lot more than it actually was safely able to do. And that's, resulted in, you know, accidents where, you know, you have huge distracted drivers and you have these rather serious collisions that probably could have been avoided if the driver understood what the technology was capable of doing at the time. Um, the fatal accident that I was referring to in 2016, the, autom the autonomous mode or autopilot mode for Tesla was completely activated. Um, the driver was distracted. And um, the, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration actually deemed autopilot to not be at fault. So they did an investigation, and they determined that the actual driver was still at fault because he failed to, you know, use the vehicle properly. Now, from what I understand, this was one where this guy was actually, he did a whole bunch of tests on the Tesla cars. Is that on the car? And he was recording it all the time? Um, I'm not 100% sure if this is the one, but I know there were numerous collisions, um, and people used to post on YouTube all the time of, you know, check out what my Tesla can do, um, and this is the one where the guy was driving on a highway and the vehicle did not recognize, uh, I guess the, the truck was kind of blended in with the horizon, and um, the autopilot didn't recognize it, and the guy was distracted and just ran right into it. Yeah, this is the one where the transport truck pulled out and it had a white side on it, so it looked yes, like the yeah, yeah. the yeah. I understand there's even a video that that was posted with regards to that. 
So uh, <laughs> I haven't seen that, and I don't know if I want to. No, but, uh, no. But there, I understand he was recording that. This was that gentleman. So that's uh, that's quite interesting. Now Tesla was deemed not at fault for it, though. You said under the the well, the autopilot was deemed not at fault because it was determined that um, you know the system gave fair warnings, and, and the driver essentially erroneously felt that the vehicle was a lot more capable or the technology of the vehicle was a lot more capable than you should have given it. And um, um, as far as I know, I do think that Tesla now has warnings, multiple warnings that come up when you start the car, just so people understand that, you know, there are certain things that that the vehicle can't do. And I think there's a a whole section in the the manual of the vehicle that um, explains the limitations and you know, whether or not people actually read the manual is another issue. But For sure. Um, Let's so, talk about Tesla, because it, it doesn't have LiDAR, right? And you talked about LiDAR versus radar. So their big thing is they don't use LiDAR at all? Yeah, for, for whatever reason, and, and you know, um, it's hard to say whether or not it's a, it's a smart thing, but for whatever reason, Elon Musk decided that um, Tesla vehicles were not going to include LIDAR for, you know, various reasons, one being they're very expensive, two, they're not necessarily super accurate in certain conditions, and um, three, they kind of detract from, you know, the overall look of a vehicle when you have like a, you know, a large bubble on the top that's essentially looks like a siren. So they decided to get all their data from radar, which, you know, in a perfect world, it might not be an issue. But um, LiDAR is over and above the most accurate way to gather data from around a car. Um, LiDAR systems are run 360 degrees, so they can see everything that's going on around the vehicle. Radar is kind of limited to a certain range of view. Um, I'm not 100% sure the exact range, but I think it's 10 or 20 degrees. So it's only seeing a certain amount. So you know, you need to have more sensors to, to take more take in more data. Um, but um, again, radar, there's pros and cons to each. LiDAR was more expensive. They've gone down drastically in price, um, and they could see a lot more details. But LiDAR essentially is useless in fog or snow or any other weather conditions that aren't clear. So, you know, radar works in those conditions, so it's easier to, to see things in front of it. Um, However, radar cannot necessarily differentiate between direction of things. It just sees things statically. So, you know, if radar rotates 100 times a minute, let's say, it's going to see the way things are moving and it's going to have clear pictures of it, whereas radar, you know, it's going to take input from its sensors and it's not going to necessarily know which way it's moving as quickly as LIDAR would. So it's a pro and con thing. They decided to go without it. Um, it's working for them at this point. Whether or not they decide in the future to, to add LIDAR to their system is still up in the air. Is there any companies out there that are using both LIDAR and radar combined? Um, yeah, so all the other companies do, or not all the other companies, but most of the big ones do. Waymo Google obviously does because they have the big globe on top of their cars. Um, most of the, the Lyft vehicles for Volvo have, or sorry, for the, the, the Uber vehicles for Volvo have um, the LiDAR on the top. Generally speaking, any of the vehicles that have um, mounted 
systems on the top of the car are using LiDAR as well. And, and what I think the AV technology needs to get to a point of is the implementation of all these systems to, to make the data that it's collecting as accurate as possible. Because obviously, the more data you have, the faster that you have that data, the safer the car is going to be. So a combination of LiDAR, radar, and, and the cameras, everything together working to kind of make it the best possible. Exactly. Okay. Well, you you said, um, or you didn't say, but there was this Tesla truck that's out there. Let's talk about that. That's that had a lot of publicity recently. Yeah, and uh, the great thing about Tesla and the great thing about Elon Musk is he's really good at hyping up his product, and people are really excited about the truck. I mean, it's fully electric. Um, you know, transport companies can only you know. They're loving the fact that they can save all this money on gas. Um, they're loving the fact that you can, you know, essentially shut yourself off, allow the the truck to do a lot, most of the driving. Um, but again, you're getting into issues of how much the vehicle is capable of doing versus how much a driver has to do. Um, I think, I believe the trucks don't necessarily come with an enhanced autopilot, but you can add it on for a fee, whether it's eight or ten thousand dollars, I'm not 100 percent sure. But um, the enhanced autopilot um, is essentially, at this point in time, it's being tested real time. So anyone who buys the enhanced autopilot system, which I think is also available in the um, Tesla 100 and um, a couple of the other ones, I'm not sure if it's available in the, the new Model 3, but I know it is available for certain vehicles. Um, so what Tesla is doing is essentially gathering data from people who decided to purchase the enhanced autopilot. Um, but again, the software is, is limited by regulation. So the vehicle is only going to be capable of doing what the regulations allow it to do. Um, once the regulations decide to, you know, to change and say, well, listen, you know, you can have um, certain things added, like, you know, you can, have the driver shut off or, you know, close their eyes or whatever, the autopilot will, you know, update to allow for systems to implement that, which, I mean, it's good and bad, but um, it's real-time learning. Okay. Now, what are the features that are on it for this extra uh, autopilot? Um, so, would it allow lane changes and highway mergers? Is this what they're looking to do, or is this what where we're at at this point with it? So I think their aim is to achieve lane changes. Um, at this point in time, they're not allowed to. Okay. I believe that's that's due to the regulations not permitting it. But um, the enhanced autopilot can auto brake, can keep in your lane. Um, it does the lane departure warnings. It uses eight cameras, which um, you know lidar is 360 degrees, but um, Tesla implemented eight cameras, giving it 360 degrees of feasibility. So you know. Arguably, it's it's similar. It's very similar to lidar, minus the you know clarity. Um, they do have one radar sensor. Um, they have twelve ultra ultrasonic sensors, which are the lane departure things. Okay. Um, yeah. And again, the good thing about Tesla and and the good thing about um, all these AV cars as we go into the future is a lot of these things can be updated via software. And I think that's what Tesla's goal is to do, is to allow 
people to buy a certain car at this point? And should they decide in a year from now to upgrade to enhanced autopilot or you know, allow for, for greater functionality of autonomous mode, they can just pay extra for that service. Whereas, you know, certain vehicles where you have to put on a LiDAR sensor and which is expensive in itself, but to you know, to continually upgrade those sensors is not necessarily cost effective. So that's what you're gonna have issues with in the future in cars other than Tesla. Now, um, these upgrades, are these done um, fly-by-wire, or do you got to plug it in? How are these upgrades getting done at this point? Um, does it tell you that, uh, does it send the car an update, or do you have to plug it in? Like, how is that all going to work? Well, now we get into more privacy issues. So um, I think the intention of Tesla is to allow upgrades being done over the year. Okay. So... Um, the issue with that is obviously um, people can hack into the car. You know, if you don't have an internet connection or, or what have you, you might not take an update, and um, then you have you run into liability issues with you know with the car fully updated. Um, but um, obviously, if you drive into a Tesla dealership, you can pay to have the system up upgraded. You know, pretty fairly safely at least. Yeah, because I've got to assume that these are going to be concerns with hacking. Um, you know, I've seen all these TV shows where somebody's hacking the car to drive or not to stop or to accelerate through a red light. Um, but that, that's got to be a real concern. Yeah, and the problem is no one really knows the amount of, or the, the, you know, the size of the issue that it's going to be. Um, whether or not people are just, feeling like, you know, being nefarious or whether or not people decide to use it for the purpose of cyber terrorism. You can imagine if you have 20 vehicles on the road or 100 vehicles on a highway and they're all communicating with each other and you have someone have the ability to hack into one vehicle to tell them all to stop, you're going to run into massive issues. And, and you know, you can imagine um, the negative side of, of something like that happening in a city that has issues with traffic already. Yeah. So, and it's funny that we're talking about this because I was just watching the latest in the Fast and the Furious franchise, that Fate of the Furious, where in New York City, they take over all of the cars. And, exactly. And, and start driving them into other cars. And so, I mean, th this could be a real problem down the road. Yes? No? Yeah, and I agree. And, and you know, just... Uh, Springboarding off of that, you know, yet you run into issues with the issue of, let's say, a vehicle is being used in the commission of a crime. Um, should police have access to that vehicle to force it to stop? Oh, I never even thought of that. That would be so. Yeah, pretty interesting. Would they be able to override their computer and just shut the car down and lock it? Exactly. Oh, that's... So, I mean, there's there's countless questions that haven't been answered, and, um, you know, I trust that a lot of these questions will get answered as we move into the future. But, um, you know, these are true concerns, and, um, yeah, whether or not manufacturers get on board and decide to to allow people to, you know, contain their personal information in the vehicle and not disseminate it, I don't know, but, um, you know, 
from a manufacturer's point of view, I can see situations where they would enjoy using that data to sell to other people to market products. Like, you know, if, if you use the vehicle to drive from your house to your place of employment every day and there's uh, a certain gas station on the way or there's a certain, you know, convenience store on the way that wants to pay Tesla or BMW to recommend a certain place, you know, and the vehicle then recommends that to you. Is that fair? Is that uh, cool? Like, Yeah, almost like advertising, just like advertising on your car. Yeah, that's going to be there's a lot of different things. It sounds like this thing is just going to change and evolve as it develops. Yeah, I mean, they're essentially your your location is always going to be known at some point, whether or not people like that or not. That's the reality of it. And, um, you know, whether that data can be anonymized I don't know whether, you know, a manufacturer or is willing to anonymize that data. I don't know, Um, but we'll see, I guess. Yeah, that's really interesting because, yeah, you have to have your location setting on for the AV to actually work to recognize where you are. And, I mean, you can make it, you can make an argument that it's similar to to UBI. Um, You know, if someone decides to base their insurance off the amount of time that they use, the insurer is going to want to know, you know whether or not you're going over that or, or what so they can decide you know, their premiums to, to charge you. Um, and it's the same thing with telematics. You know, your data is always going to be readily available and your location is going to be known at all times. And um, you know, whether or not you're going to allow an insurer to, to use that data for their purposes, um, yeah, because another question. I know there's a few insurers out there that do that. They actually, you know, they uh, base their premium on customer data, and you upload it every month, and it it adjusts your premium accordingly based on usage and you know how many times you were speeding and that kind of information. So, yeah, this this sounds like it's going to be uh, just an animal unto itself as it develops. It's it's actually quite interesting, and it sounds like it's just on the beginning of it. Yeah, I agree. It's uh, the unfortunate part is that there's a lot more questions still than answers, and yeah. um, you know, hopefully, I was able to to give you some answers. But uh, you know, at, at the same time, a lot of the stuff is is still kind of what ifs and and what might happen. Well, it's it's the fact that you're even got any information is amazing. It's just it sounds like it's just changing every day based on on our conversation and. Um, like I said, you know, we hear so much about Tesla, but you never hear about, I I personally haven't heard a ton about Ford or GM or, you know, I've heard about Waymo because it's a weird kind of looking car. But uh, yeah. again, uh, Renault Chrysler, the, you know, those aren't just the names that don't pop up or I don't hear them very often when you think about um, AV cars. And I think, I think the, the overarching, uh, the overarching theme is that if the manufacturer is, at all interested in remaining relevant and viable, they've either invested a substantial amount of money already, or they're planning on investing a substantial amount of money. Because the fact of the matter is, um, you know, it's pretty unanimous that this technology is coming, and um, you know, there's obviously discrepancies as to when it might get here fully. But um, you know, 
you don't want to be the manufacturer that decides to to shrug it off and say, well, this isn't going to remain viable, so we're not going to invest any money in it. And then 30 years down the road or 20 years down the road, you know, they get stuck with their pants down and um, they're kind of screwed. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for your time today, Jonathan. Uh, how can people reach you? Where can, you know, can we get your uh, your email and your phone number here for you at Dance and Rec? Sure. So, um, again, I'm with the law firm of Dance and Rec. Um, so the phone number here is 416-929-2200. Um, if they want to reach me directly, the best is probably email, which is my first name, Jonathan, J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N, at drlitigators.com, D-R-L-I-T-I-G-A-T-O-R-S.com. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for your time today. I appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we can stay in touch. I'm sure there's going to be an update on this, and uh, hopefully we can have you back on WP Radio in the future. Thanks, Terry. Thanks for having me. Hey, no worries. Uh, Have a great day. You too. All right, guys, thanks very much for listening to today's episode of WP Radio. We'll be back next month with another great podcast. And for all those people in the Toronto area next Tuesday, January the 30th, we hopefully will see you at the Ontario Claims Conference. Until the next time, we'll see you on the flip side. Are you an insurance adjuster actively adjusting claims? If so, we want you. The OIAA is a professional organization currently consisting of 1,800 claims professionals with its main focus on education, networking, and knowledge. We promote and maintain a high standard of ethics among insurance claims professionals. We work together with government departments and officials, governing bodies, members of other organizations, insurance companies, associations and fraternities, as well as the general public in matters connected with the business of insurance and insurance claims. We recognize the value of networking for education, advocacy, advancing professional standards, and offering mutual support. We provide networking, professional development, inside industry news, and support to insurance adjusters across Ontario. By joining our network of active and associate members, you receive a direct introduction to other members, our Without Prejudice magazine delivered to your door, discounts for all social and professional development events, knowledge from mixing with seasoned, experienced adjusters and with new up-and-coming professionals, and satisfaction knowing that you are an active participant in shaping claims adjustment and risk management services in Ontario. Most compelling of all is the price. Just for $50 a year plus HST, the value far outweighs the fee. Can you afford not to join us? Please visit our website to become a member and to review our calendar of events at www.oiaa.com.